first count of the information, Joseph Rosenbaum. We, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the second count of the information, Richard McGinnis, we, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the third count of the information, unknown male, we, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the fourth count of the information, Anthony Huber, we, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. As to the fifth count of the information, Gage Grosskreutz, we, the jury, find the defendant, Kyle H. Rittenhouse, not guilty. Members of the jury, are these your unanimous verdicts? Is there anyone who does not agree with the verdicts as read? No. Uh, would you wish the jury pulled? No. Okay. Uh, okay, folks, your uh, job is done, and uh, we started just about three weeks ago. And I, uh, I told you it could last two weeks and two days. This is two week This is three weeks. Uh, you were a wonderful jury to work with. You Took that jury uh, three and a half days to render a verdict that we all saw coming from miles and hundreds of years away. Not guilty on all five counts. Sounds about white. Um, you know, Mike, uh, this is just the latest example of Law and order only applies to people that look like us. That justice is just for them. Um, and that at the end of the day is whiteness above everything. Whiteness above public safety. Whiteness above so-called justice. Whiteness above fairness. Like white supremacy doesn't just apply to relative to other races and ethnicities. It's, it's white supremacy, supremacy supreme to all other principles. Because um, Kyle Rittenhouse, make no mistake about it, was the poster child for pushback against progress. And I say child because what we saw throughout this entire case was, you know, the juxtaposition between, as we, as we like, as we say in America, a black man is a boy and a black boy is a man. Right. You know, people are, are Monday morning or, or as the case may be Friday afternoon quarterbacking some of the decisions made in, in this trial and the prosecution's decision, or excuse me, the defense's decision, I beg your pardon the defense's decision to put Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand was not risky at all. That was the most obvious play in the playbook because they knew right. that white man fearing for his life, even though he's carrying a long gun, white man yeah. fearing for his life and acting in self-defense and throw white tears on top of it, that's an easy sell to the jury. So, you know, we could talk about the prosecution and the choice of charges, the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which by the way, in instances of wow. a white man on trial, you don't not, not only have the burden of proof, an incident, a uh, burden of proof 
and uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, but you also have the benefit of the doubt in his favor. But we could talk about disproving self-defense. We could talk about provocation. We we can we can we can get into the legalese. But at the end of the day, this was the outcome that was always going to happen. The moment the judge said you can't call the uh, you can't call yeah. the, the victims victims, you can call them they, riots. We knew what time it right. was. The stage was set. And Michael, the yeah. last thing I'll say is this: I'll, I'll pull a Matthew McConaughey from a Time to Kill real quick. All right, you can talk all you want about his right to bear arms because in this country as you know oftentimes the second amendment is prioritized more so than the first amendment and nowhere was that more evident than in this case but you could talk about his right to bear arms you could talk about the, the proof or lack thereof if you wish whatever you want to talk about let's just play this little game close your eyes and imagine somebody that looks like me somebody that looks like michael yeah. holly imagine a black person going to the capitol on january 6 with a long gun imagine me going to the capitol on january 6 with my other calling myself going there to help to play police. Yeah, and I kill yeah. two people yeah. and injure another. Am I being acquitted on all on all counts? You're not alive. Imagine me going to Charlottesville. Imagine me going to You're Charlottesville. Alive. Armed, 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 but coming there to play vigilante, quote unquote. You, you damn right. I ain't leaving that place alive, let alone getting a trial, because this this was not this was not just about so-called self-defense. This was not just about the Second Amendment. This was not just about the evidence in this case. Because they tried as much as they as much as they could to, to, to separate this from quote unquote politics. Mm. Michael, this was about his cause. This is about where he was. Because the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse showed up to a long gun, showed up with a long gun to a protest in the aftermath of Jacob Blake's shooting. Right. That's why I said he is right. the poster child for the pushback against pro progress. He is their hero because where this took place has everything to do with how this played out. Oh, man. There's so much to untangle, Mike. There's so much to get to on this. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Everything you said, everything you said is right. I don't want it to be right, but it is. I've never wanted it to be right, <laughs> but it is and has been. I am, Michael, I am a son of middle America. I grew up in the United States of America. I grew up in Ohio, okay, in the middle of the country. I grew up in that, that, that swing state, that, that purple state, Ohio. And so I have seen this my entire life. I wasn't always uh, around coastal folks who are in a bubble. I have grown up with liberals and conservatives. I've grown up with blue collar folks and white collar folks. I grew up in the middle of this country and I've been around long enough to know better, but I keep falling for it. I keep falling for it. I lean in with the chin that I don't have and keep taking the punch from the United States of America on what justice is and who justice stands for more often than not. And more often than not, Justin stands for Kyle and not Jamal. Kyle and not Kareem. Kyle and not Karima. It's always 
in that case, it's always the benefit of the doubt for an 18 year old kid as opposed to a 17 year old threat who happens to be black or brown. Right. Yeah. But I never wanted to be, and and I'm always, and I'm always standing there for the sucker punch or the gut punch. Because I think it's going to be different. I think it's going to be different. I think that, um, I think that common sense will prevail over partisanship. I, I think that there will be courageous jurists in the in the tradition of Charles Hamilton Houston, in the tradition of Thurgood Marshall, uh, in the t- modern tradition of Sherilyn Eiffel and Ron Sullivan. And, and people who are out there, to, you know, Cornell Brooks, people who have a passion for justice more than they have a passion for power and partisanship. But I just, I keep falling for it, Mike. I keep falling for it over and over. I fall for it. So on January 6th, I was disturbed, not because, hey, they, that, that, that's somebody from another, another party, uh, they, they are they are they are Trump supporters. No, because as I said, what I know is the United States of America. So I'm an American, and I can see the weakening of democracy. And I always think that people will that that common sense will prevail, and I'm just stupid. It just it just does it. It does it, and and so. I was just, I was floored today. I was floored by this verdict. I was floored by it. Yes. Even though. Now, now just let me ask you this. Is your. In the back of my mind, I I knew it was coming. Well, that's what I'm saying. Were you floored? Was it your anger or your actual surprise? Which one one you really think it was? It's not anger. You were legitimately surprised? Because I have a hard time believing that that people don't see how connected this is. Uh, in other words, I have a hard time believing, and I know it's true, but I have a hard time just understanding the rationale. If you will allow somebody who has clearly been, has been playing, has been playing policeman in his head for a long time, or you look, watch his social media, look at his movements. He is all about you know, blue lives matter and all about law and order. Yeah, his ideology out. was crystal so, clear. So that's something that has been on his mind for a long time. So if you allow somebody, a teenager, to take the streets on day three of protest, not the first day. This is not a, oh, you know, I just had to be out there and do something. No, it's day three. You allow a teenager to cross state lines to go and kill two people and injure another one, and then you got nothing to say about it. The law has nothing to say about it. That, that's what we found out today, that on five counts, there is no accountability. On five counts, you couldn't even get them on anything. You, know, you threw out a gun charge before this even started. If you allow that to happen, you don't have a democracy anymore. I always think that people will realize that, that your side didn't win even though you wanted Kyle Rittenhouse to be acquitted, your side didn't win. When that happens in your country, you ain't got a democracy. So just like January 6th, if you allow that to happen, you don't have a democracy. 
What you have is something else. It's twisted. And eventually, hold on, let me just say this. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. The last thing I'll say is it's going to touch all of us. So if they think they won today, great. It's a Pyrrhic victory. Somehow it's going to wound you. It's already wounded you. You just don't know it yet. We've all been wounded by this. Mm. We oh, just don't know you, it yet. Mike, man. Okay, so that, that's why you're shocked. That's why you keep falling for it. Everything you just said, eloquent and beautiful though it was, you have a de different definition of democracy. You have, a different, you have a different vision of what this is supposed to look like. This was a complete and total victory for their side, as you put it today. This is a victory for self-defense. This is a victory for the Second Amendment. This is a victory for white supremacy. All those things. Now, there are plenty of legal scholars who will sit here and say, well, wait, you don't understand the law. You know, the burden of proof <sighs> is always on the prosecution. It's, it's proof beyond <sighs> a reasonable doubt. You know, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's uh, it, you know, they could not disprove self-defense, which is the law of Wisconsin, because the bottom line is our gun laws are jacked. Our gun laws across the country, for the most part, not just in Wisconsin, but across the country for the most part, our gun laws are nonsensical and in many ways promote lawlessness. But I don't want to get caught in the legalese because at the end of the day, this game always ends the same way because it's rigged in their favor. So you may look at January 6 or Kenosha or Georgia or any of these other fights that we're having in this country in, in, in the midst of this culture war, if, if you will. You may look at it, Michael, as some kind of uh, some kind of, 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 of damage to democracy. But this is all going according to plan. This is how it's supposed to go like this. This 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 just not only justify Kyle Rittenhouse's actions, but encouraged future so-called vigilantes to take matters in their own hands and protect their way of life, their property. If we get out of line, because there's a lot of people who look up to this young man, this kid who had a bad day again. He's allowed to be a kid who had a bad day, a kid who made a mistake. Yeah. You and I are raising yeah. young black boys and black girls who know good and damn well they can't get out of line. I yelled at my son something serious last night because he wasn't honest with me about something rather trivial. Yeah. But I'm like, boy, right. I'm, I'm right. trying to protect you from something worse on the outside because you don't get the benefit of the doubt that Kyle Rittenhouse does. So, Michael, I got to disagree with you that they're going to. I, I hear everything you say. I agree with your larger point, but I just don't think that. I, I don't know that those particular chickens are going to come home to roost for them. Yeah. Okay. You know yeah. Do you understand what, I'm, what I mean? I, I, yeah, I feel I know, like that's a little too ide ide idealistic on your part. That this yeah, is that this is not going so. exactly according to plan. You know. I know you think so, but this is how. But. You just got to look at it. This is the nature of, of violence. This is the nature of injustice. It eventually catches up to you. Okay, even if you think it's justice, even if you think, and I, I hear what you're saying, hey, this is how the system was designed. It was designed uh, to protect uh, this white is what men. what this country is built uh, on. Hey, white yeah, violence. Right, right. right. That's the, white that's, men, this is American is apple pie. Their, right. Their priorities, uh, their property, their perspectives, all of that. Yeah. My point is, 
just natural law, not the law of of of, okay, of Schroeder's courthouse. But oh, I'm saying okay, natural okay, law. Doc, and I know do they, believe they call you Doc. That's serious. When they call you Doc, that means you, that means you preach it. Okay, Doc. <laughs> yeah. Okay, doctor. No, but I do <laughs> natural law. I, I, I do. It is. It is. I'm, I'm talking about natural law and and the the moral law that mm-hmm. it will reach around. It will catch up. It will. Well, it will catch you. And so you can practice. You can practice injustice. You can practice wickedness. This is what this is what this is. You can you can do it. You can um, you can endorse it from the bench. Because that's what happened today. It's a wicked judge in a wicked system. So you can practice it, but eventually it will catch up with you. That's why I, meant, I mentioned uh, some of those legal scholars, some of them judges, and, and some of them lawyers today. Louis Brandeis is another one. Margaret Burnham is another one. Really courageous legal scholars and jurists who said, oh yeah, I understand what the law is. Oh, I got a JD. I went to law school. I did very well. I know what your law says, but I know what it should be. And I know what the loopholes are in your laws. And I know how your laws are being compromised and corrupted to benefit those who don't have a passion for justice. But I'm going to stand here today and I'm going to do something different. That's what I'm looking for because we're like, we've got our protest. We've got our outrage, but this keeps happening over and over. What we need to do, what we need to do is get some of these folks out of here. Get the Bruce Schroeder's got to get out and be replaced Bro. by a warrior jurist, a you know, thoughtful and, and just jurist who who are on the side of common sense, who are our, who are on who the are side. our peers, yeah, who are yeah. our actual peers. Mike, so folks, Michael, in short, these, well, again, well yeah. said. Which, in short, what you say, what you're preaching there, doctor, is you say, I said jurist, the arc of the- not jurors, not juror, jurist. Mm-hmm. And that the jurors are somebody are, are, are that's a different story altogether. But I'm talking about the people who are practicing the law and the people who are saying the, the, the people who are sitting on the bench and, and setting the culture and setting the tone and tempo of the courtroom. They, they're saying, all Doctor, right now. They all it, failed us. They failed what you're us. saying basically in a nutshell, you're saying that the mark of the, the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. But what yes. I but what I would like to know though is when is this more convenient time? Okay, let's, let's stay let's stay let's stay with the good doctor. When is this more convenient time of which you speak going to arrive? Because like it, it, you cannot help but watch what transpired, the inevitability that took place in Kenosha, Wisconsin today, and juxtapose it with Julius Jones, innocent Julius Jones being tortured with a death row experience, being spared the death penalty, and yet still getting life without parole, as if that's some kind of consolation prize. Okay? So he gets commuted, but he's still behind bars. Yeah. But we know why his innocence can't be, can't, his innocence cannot be presumed. Meanwhile, let me get this guy right. Let me get, and I, and I know this is di- different jurisdictions for anybody out there that's listening. It's like, oh, it's different. Than everybody. You, shut up. Um, make sure I get this guy's <laughs> name right because I read about this today. Uh, Christopher Belter. You heard about Christopher yeah. Belter? Who raped and sexually assaulted four teens? 
and gets mm. eight years probation? Wow. What you think? What you think he looked like? What you think he looked like? What you take? Take one guess. What he looked like? Yeah, we know. We know. In New York, he's twenty years old now, and the judge claimed that he the judge claimed that he prayed. Right, <laughs> isn't appropriate. He prayed and agonized over this, but decided that the best course was eight years probation. So I, I listen, Michael. I hear yeah. you and I feel you, but I just ain't feeling it today. All right, I, I know that, and, and, that's, and this is for another day. This is for another day because I'm not going down this road today because it will take us. We could spend a whole show talking about this. Maybe we'll come uh, back to it. Far be it for me. Far be it for me. Not only a son before I was a son of the Midwest and before I was a son uh, of the United States of America. I'm a child of God. So far be it, be it for me to be an instrument of Almighty God to. Defend God. God. God needs no defense. God will not be mocked, right? But I will say, I take offense. I take offense. God is bigger than me. God is bigger than himself. But I take offense. Don't you dare. Don't you dare talk about prayer and godliness when God says, I'm a God of justice. And, and, and many times, uh, uh, throughout scripture, God says that the blood cries out, the blood cries out from the ground and it offends me. So you can't talk about how you prayed and you come to this decision when the God you're praying to says, this is not me. This is y'all. I didn't create this. You're not praying to me. I'm not endorsing this. You are. Don't bring God into this. This is human error. This is human weakness. This is human cowardice. Leave God out of it. I don't doubt that they're praying. I'm just not sure that they're praying to the same God or hearing the same God we hear, brother. <laughs> okay? And they always find a way to arrive at places of mercy when it comes to people who look like Kyle Rittenhouse, who once again, when you're writing, it's his story, when you're writing, his motivation. And the disturbance to which he was responding. That's all this is about. Make yeah. no mistake about it. It's all this is about. He showed up. He, he, he had a right to be there because there are a bunch of people sitting at home wishing they were him and wishing they had taken matters into their own hands the same way that they did to put these Black Lives Matter protesters in their place. That's what that, well, that's what this listen, entire case was about. Mike, Miss me with the legalese. Yeah, when you're when you're writing a check, to preserve a law when you're writing a check uh, when you got a lobby, uh, you, you got a, a lobby to keep a certain thing going to preserve the status quo. ain't got nothing to do with God. You're not writing a check to God. It, it, maybe right. maybe you're, you're writing a check to your small G God, but not the big G. It's the small G. Yeah, you got a yeah. God. All right, but it's not the, yeah, it's right. not the God that we're talking about. <laughs> right, right, right. Angry, but not shocked. You know, numb at this point. And oh, Ahmad Aubrey is right around the corner. We'll see yeah. how that plays out. But but yeah. don't, but don't we already know? Don't we already know? Mike, I got some good news for you. Um, this I morning, some. I need some. I. This morning I got my booster shot. 
Got my booster shot. That is good news. Have you been? That have you been good. boosted yet? Have you? Thank Not you. Yet. My wife made the appointment. Yeah. Um, here's something of to course. consider. Here's of something to consider. Did. did you? Uh, did you get Pfizer or Moderna? I don't remember which one. Which one did you get? Moderna. Your first. Your first Moderna. two doses. So did I. So I got Moderna as well. Well, today I walk in, and it only had Pfizer available, and I was like, hmm. It's like. I was like, that kind of like wearing Nike and Adidas. Like, can I do that? I was just like, gonna say that. Like, I was like, I, 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 I didn't that. feel. I was like, that doesn't feel right. Like, I just feel like, like, right. listen. I, I told her, I was like, listen, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I was first in line when it's my turn to get the vaccine. I was like, but I kind of like, is that okay? Can I do that? It was like, actually, research is showing that um, matching the vaccines actually gives you more protection because you're getting more or different kind of antibodies. So what really put me at ease when the woman was like, uh, think of it as you went to get a burger from Burger King, but fries from Wendy's. I'm like, ah, okay, sure thing. I was like, that works for me. So she was like, it's actually beneficial no, to no, get a different kind of vaccine on top of the one you already had. No, but nobody would ever do that. Point, they point taken. It, point taken. They flip it around. So flip it around. Anyway, go ahead. so here you go, buddy. Here you go, brother. Bam. Bam. There it is. All right. Is that real? Is that two doses and can a, I trust it? Th- it it, it, it is. It? Yes, you can. Well, no, well, you're just going to have to take my word for it. Oh. How do any of us know? You're just going to have to take my word for it. You're just going to have to take my word that I got. I got the jab three times now. Oh, and by the way, you get less side effects if you if, uh, supposedly if you if you mix and match. We'll but see. anyway, you just got you just got to take my word. For When'd it. you get it? You got it yesterday. I got today? it today. I got it today. Okay. All right. Now the same cannot be said in the good old National Football League. Quick test. Quick test. <laughs> I did. I did. Where'd it is not, not my. I got not my personal chef. I got went to urgent. I went to urgent care place at nine fifteen, and I, I bought the okay. beer at eleven thirty, and I went to urgent care at nine fifteen. All right. And I and, and I, I can, they they got cameras. I got proof. I did not ask a personal chef. I did not ask a trainer. I did not ask an agent to get me a fake vaccine card. So um, this Antonio Brown situation, which side note, Antonio Brown seems to have beef with a lot of people and it's typically because he didn't pay them or treat them right. He got a long trail of people that he has that he has crossed the latest being a personal chef who accused him and his girlfriend at the time of uh, trying to get fake vaccine cards. Um, And the personal chef is mad, I guess, because he didn't pay $10,000. Antonio Brown's denied it. uh, By the way, by the way, when this brother calls you, hang up. Don't, 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 don't. Yeah, right. Don't, don't, don't right. Whatever. Yeah, just like if, if he calls. Take your business elsewhere. Said, I got some. Yeah. You know what? It's yeah. that, it's that, here's that phrase. I, you know, and I'm usually put off by this phrase anyway. People say this to me. See if this sounds familiar. Hey, what's up, bro? I want to run something by you. No, 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 no. Nah, nah, nah. Hang up. When Antonio Brown yeah. calls and says, "I got a proposition for you. I want to run." What? Hey, let, why don't you come by? We can discuss this. Probably not. No, gonna, it's probably not going to end well. No. So he's denied it. His lawyers denied it. Uh, the Bucks say, which one of the first teams to proclaim themselves fully vaccinated. The Bucks are like, "We're good. No improprieties here." But Michael, man, I tell you what, bro. I think this rabbit hole goes quite deep deeper than anybody can imagine or deeper than anybody with the NFL wants to imagine because and it's, it's crazy. This story has been hiding in plain sight. 
Antonio Brown, true or not, is not the point. I mean, it's very on brand for Antonio Brown, but true or not right. is beside the point. It's the fact that Antonio Brown is more than likely one of many. Now, the NFL, I believe the latest numbers are 94% vaccinated. I talked to a pretty small person earlier today who conservatively put that at 80% is more likely. I'm willing to go lower than that. Because, Michael, doesn't yeah, it gonna, all make sense? Doesn't it all 70, make sense? I'll go 70 to that, you know what? That, that might be generous because then it all makes sense when you think about like, why are so many vaccinated players testing Thank positive? You. Oh, why are there goodness. so many outbreaks? Yes, because and yes. Michael, I broke this down a week ago today when I talked about the the, the glaring hole, the the tree, the, the forest that we were missing for the trees as it relates to the Aaron Rodgers being unvaccinated controversy. At least he was getting tested every day. Unvaccinated right. players. Yeah get tested once a week. They don't have to wear masks. They don't have to social distance. You mean, you mean so vaccinated? You mean vaccinated? Back, just I'm saying vaccinated. Yeah, vaccinated. I'm sorry, vaccinated. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Play. Thank you. Unvaccinated players are tested every day. The vac- unvaccinated players are tested every day. They have the stricter protocols. And the vaccinated and the players. Vaccinated, in quotes, yes. the vaccinated players. You got players. it. You got it. Once a week testing, right. no masks. Once a week. No social distancing, right? And so imagine right. if there's, I don't know, let's say a, a couple of hundred guys running around unvaccinated, which I don't give a damn what you reading on the internet makes you less likely to both contract and pass along COVID, let alone be hospitalized or die by getting vaccinated. That's science. If there's a bunch of dudes running around unvaccinated, no wonder they can't get COVID under control in the NFL. And the last thing I'll say is right. this, Michael, it, when, when it comes yeah. to players who will do anything? This, remember, remember, I used to say I was confused about how guys who put things in their bodies their entire career under the guise of getting yeah. on the field would all of a sudden be fearful of, of injecting themselves with a life-saving vaccine. It never computed for me. By the same rationale, if somebody doesn't want to get vaccinated, given how many times they've been beaten, piss test their whole career, or or, or taking performance enhancers, you know, or being a, being ahead of the of the testing program. Why wouldn't they ask if somebody can hook them up with a fake vaccine card, especially when the person who has to confirm the validity of, of said vaccine card is some random equipment guy? Michael, how about this? It's like a bouncer at a club. Okay, couple of couple of dimes walk up a whole pack of whole yeah. pack of Holly Burries, Ho- Holly Burries, oh, 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 a whole pack, a whole, pa- a whole, whole pack of them walk up and you look at their ID. And it says they old enough to party, but you know, it's a fake ID. You letting them in. You think the Buccaneers right. are going to sit up there and say Antonio Brown. This doesn't look uh, oh, oh, you're good. You're good. See you at practice, Bruh, This is probably so widespread and so rampant. We have yeah. no idea. Yeah, it's a great point. Listen, a couple things here on this one. Number one, if you said to me, guess five guys in the NFL right now, guess five guys who have a fake vaccination card uh, before I get the three I'm coming up with an Antonio with Antonio Brown. I ain't surprised at all. Like that's that dude. He's the dude who would do it. That's what I said. Who would do on it? Brand. Antonio, yeah, that's what I said. Antonio totally Brown, on brand. Antonio yeah. Brown absolutely would do it. So yeah, um, I I hesitate to say allegedly only because I'm a responsible journalist. Will I say reportedly right. and he has denied it all this stuff. Yeah, but Okay. 
He did it. Okay, I know he did. I know he did. I'm not surprised. There's some truth in there somehow. Somehow there's truth. That's one. But you know, Mike, this is there's so much irony. This is a lot of irony. Irony is in the air today. Um the same league where if you are a if you are against protests. I know we're talking about protests in the A block. Let's continue talking about protests in the NFL. If you are against protests, and let's say you're against Black Lives Matter, and you're against Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed and other other players who have either raised a fist or taken a knee or sat down or spoken out, you're against it. You say you do that on your own time. It's a National Football League. You don't have the right to play in the NFL. Why don't you do that on your off day? Protest on your off day. Uh, this is about this is about a job. This is about the NFL. Okay, that's what they say. But when then people like me turn around and say it this way, show your work. If you really, if you really are getting vaccinated, if I'm the NFL, I say I want to know where you. I want to go with you. I want to know where you are. We got to we got to set up vaccination sites. Thirty presuming that they actually sites. care. You're presuming that they right. actually they, care. There you go. That's a big if. If they care. If they care, and I know it's not technically 32 uh, because of the Jets and Giants, but you've got several. You got multiple vaccination sites around the National Football League. I would set those up, or I'm going to. If you're going to be vaccinated. We're going to have a league representative. We're going to have a league doctor with you because Mike, how do you check their work? How do you know somebody's how do you know somebody's telling the truth? But how do you know it's you fake? Know? But, but, well, even how, but, but the people checking the card, how do they know it's fake? How do they know? They don't. And they like, don't they care got to technology know. Now. They got technology now. You know, it, it's hard to cheat in a lot of areas where if people are paying attention, it's hard to cheat. Just for example, you know, I don't know, you know, you, you, you probably weren't, you probably weren't going down the cheating path, you know, at the top of your class and all that stuff. Um, but others, not me, but some people I know, others, you know, might have wanted to do something like that. Especially when it comes to Did you buy a term paper, paper online? You bought a term paper online, that's what you're saying? That's where I'm going. But you know what they can do now? <laughs> they got technology in a second. They got technology that can tell you if this thing is a fake or not. Did you know that? Like, so if you are, if, if you're buying a term paper online, a good mm -hmm. college professor has a technology to just check that to see if it's original or not. Wow. And if it's did not, not original, you're busted. Yes. I did not know that. So we've come a long way when it comes to those two, with those types of things. But what are we going to do about the, all the fakes that are out there? Because it is, it is hard to believe, and, and it's not just the NFL. We should look at all the other sports. I don't know, Michelle Roberts. Well, I mean, has it, 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 about Evan, this Evander Kane. NBA, Evander right? Kane got suspended, but Evander Kane yeah. got suspended. The, I mean, so but, it's but like, remember, why would it be limited to one guy in, 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 in the NHL? And I know we, we promised not to talk about him, but this is just as a, as an example. We're not really getting into the topic. As an example, Michelle Roberts, who's mm -hmm. uh, outgoing. Uh, NBA Players Association uh, president. Um, she said executive committee. I, I, it, that's not the correct correct title, but you know what I'm saying. She's 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 a big deal in the NBA with the Players Association. She said 
when we were when, when people asked when we reporters asked about Kyrie Irving said, Oh, no, no, there shouldn't be any vaccine mandates. What we would what we should be asking is what does the rest of society need to do to keep up with the NBA players? The NBA Jeez. is doing something that the rest of society is not doing. No, 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 no. How naive we've all been. No, that's what I'm saying. The NBA, it's been hiding NFL, in plain sight. MLB, NHL, all a reflection of society. So if society is at 60 or 65%, whatever it is, correct. So with is the fake NBA. vaccination cars, with plenty of people so sitting next NFL. to me and you claiming that they're vaccinated when they're really not, not because how do you, how do you, how, right? But I'm saying, how do you prove and, it? How do you, how do you and, know? Right. And what? And I know those folks too. I know Some those folks. This like I know Antonio. This like I know Antonio Brown. Is that dude? You mean you mean you know, you know him when you see him? You mean you know him when you see him? You when you actually him. know yeah. people who are posing as vaccinated? No, I'm saying because you I know him when you see him, and you know him oh. when you hear him. Like, so I, well, somehow, I guarantee you. Somehow, somehow the slang is a little bit. Somehow the slang is a little bit off. The change ain't quite right. They groove ain't quite people, right. Something is a little off. There are people walking <laughs> around with fake vaccination cards. Who will sit up there like, man, that Aaron Rodgers, man, he, he wrong for lying, and they got fake vaccination cards. We got a guest waiting yeah. for us in a second. I'm gonna say this. Listen, man, the NFL might be the least of Antonio Brown, or for that matter, whatever Bucks teammates may or may not have tried to go through the same route. The Bucks might have an issue on their hands. This is a law enforcement issue. This is a federal offense. This isn't just the NFL's marijuana or or performance enhancing drug test. This is a federal offense. So if they really wanted to get to the bottom of this, that could be bad for a lot of people. This is a big, big, big deal that now they're not only investigating Antonio Brown, they may be inclined to look into, if they can, other forgers, and they're not going to like what they find. Because I, I guarantee so that's they, why a lot of, even, not, you can still test positive vaccinated, but I guarantee that's why it feels like they can't get it under control because not 94% said, of NFL players are not vaccinated. They're not. That's right. You said not going to like what they find. So, oh, wow. I can't, I can't find it. Wow. I just can't find it. Let me move on. Move on. I can't find what I'm looking for. Too much money involved. Did Los Angeles ever really reckon with the chaos that consumed the city? It was a Pearl Harbor for, for LA and for the LAPD. It was a civil unrest because you can only, you know, suppress people and oppress people for so long before they erupt. Slow Burn Season 6, The LA Riots. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I tell you what, if you haven't already, today feels like a really good day to get into Slow Burn yeah. Season 6, uh, which, as you just heard, looks at the L.A. riots in the aftermath of the Rodney King verdict. We are joined now by the host of Slow Burn Season 3 and 6, writer for Slate, uh, also the host of Hang Up and Listen, Joel D. Anderson, one of the smartest brothers around. Uh, yeah. So good to have you. And, man, I mean, I, I'm thankful that we got you today because I, I, cool. I've been... Yeah. I've been dying to ask you just especially given the reporting and, 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 and the depth with which you've re-examined the Rodney King verdict and, 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 and the LA policing and, and, the, and the ensuing uh, riots and, and, and how they reverberate 
through the ensuing decades. How do you process what we saw transpire today with Kyle Rittenhouse being acquitted on all five counts in Kenosha? Yeah. Um, well, thank you, first of all, for having me on, man. You guys are great. And I've always you know, admired the work you all have done. But um, to answer your question, Mike, I, I think um, it's just a reminder that the criminal justice system is made up of a lot of disparate parts. You've got police, you've got prosecutors, you've got judges, you've got juries. And you need a lot of those things to be working in concert to get what you would considered to be sort of an ideal verdict or an ideal uh, version of what justice looks like in any individual case. And so with the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, you know, I, I, I don't want to pretend that I watched, you know, every single minute, hour of it, but it appeared that the judge was heavily biased in favor of the defense um, and that they were in an area that might not have looked so you know, they might have not looked so favorably upon the people that were victims in this case. And, you know, it, it seems sort of inevitable that we ended up here. Everybody sort of sort of saw it going to this point before it actually to end in this way. Um, it's just sort of a thudding finality that is really disappointing, but it's not something that black people in this country, uh, people from marginalized communities are, 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 are unfamiliar with. Like we know we 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 saw this coming and it ended exactly the way we thought it would. You know what, uh, Joel, uh, Michael and I just had this conversation pretty much back and forth. Michael is saying, hey, I saw it coming. And I'm saying, yeah, I see it coming, but I'm still disappointed. I still take that, that sucker punch every time, even though yes. I know uh, I can see it from like 20 miles away. But my point to Michael is even when a Kyle Rittenhouse is acquitted or somebody like Kyle Rittenhouse is acquitted, there will be a consequence whether the so-called winning side realizes it or not. You saw that in L.A. There are consequences that maybe L.A. is still dealing with today. Uh, do you think that is a, a fair statement? You know, what do you think the consequence might be uh, in, in Wisconsin? And what were and are the consequences uh, in L.A.? Well, uh, to I, I think in Wisconsin, the immediate consequences that I'm sure that there are a lot of angry people there. And it was already angry. Um, when Kyle Rittenhouse went there on that day with the AR-15. And I'm fairly certain that anger hasn't gone anywhere. Now, where is it going to go? Is it going to go into direct action? Is it going to be just marches? Is it going to become violent? I have, you know, who, who's to say? Um, but I mean, I definitely think it reverberates in quite the same way with, you know, what happened in the L.A. riots. And that, you know, for years and years, people had complained about, um, you know, racist policing, unaccountable brutality, uh, social conditions that were not addressed and all of these things sort of built. And so when this trial comes in 1992, the four officers accused of beating uh, Rodney King and they get off, people are like, well, you know what? What is the law really? If the law isn't to protect us, um, if it's not equitable, if it doesn't apply to all these people across, you know, many different places, many different, you know, uh, social stations, whatever, um, then what are we, you know, what are we exactly adhering to? What are we abiding by? And that's when you have a danger that people are going to act out and tear us up. I don't know if I, I didn't know if I could curse here or not. Uh, I'm a curse, right, okay. but I won't. We do it all the time. Yeah, no, some today. people might. Today you have to. They might have to tear that motherfucker up. You know what I'm saying? The ice like the old ice cube song. You know what I'm saying? We no. had to tear this motherfucker up. And so it might happen in Kenosha, but I mean, people can't say that they didn't see it coming, um, because I mean, when we went into this, we knew that there were already problems with the system there, starting with police abuse and excessive use of force 
in Kenosha. That's how we got here in the first place, right? So um, it's just, yeah, I mean, we see these cycles happen over and over again, man. Um, you know, it's really, really right. disappointing. Like to your, to your point, to your point, Michael, yes, I mean, people should feel have the right to even though we know that it was it was going to come that we had the right to feel disappointed and be angry about it um i think it's important not to just be so cynical that we forget people are emotional about these things well not and i'm so glad you said that and michael i'm so glad you brought joel into our conversation earlier because it just i could not agree more with both those sentiments from the standpoint of if if we get numb to it the danger is we just start to accept it michael like that that gut punch that you had is necessary in order to fight back so I, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I don't know. I, I just don't share your optimism when it comes to yeah. it. Joel, let me get your take on this. When it comes to oh. whether or not a hey, 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 Cornell West, let me just make Cornell yeah. West said, yeah. once said, I'm not optimistic. I'm hopeful. I'm not optimistic, but I That's, am. Hopeful. And that is that is a very I, subtle yet significant yeah. difference. And but the, when it comes to the consequences part, though, who's to say that for them, the consequences ain't worth it see white women voters like white supremacy will always protect itself at all costs. So even if a verdict like what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse in some way, shape or form will backfire in the form of further deteriorating our small D democracy, it's worth it in the name of maintaining this system. Joel is where I'm coming from. Oh, no, Michael, there absolutely could be an affirmative response and from their side of things and that, well, we've, just been told that citizens, even underage citizens who don't who are in illegal position possession of a weapon, can deputize themselves and decide to shoot people. They can wade into chaos and shoot. That might empower a lot of people, man. I mean, we know that there's been a resurgence in white supremacist violence within the last few years here in this country. And there are a lot of people that looked at that verdict in the same way that you know a lot of us are like devastated and hopeless or really down right now. There are a lot of people that were empowered by celebrate like, oh, yeah, yes. that's 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 the country. That's the America that I know and love. And right. yeah, I mean, it could it could absolutely have that sort of consequence. Um, I, you know, I mean, look, man, I try not to spend too much time on Twitter, but it, unfortunately, it keeps pulling me in. And I mean, I've seen a lot of people, people, people that are not even that you would not even necessarily consider far right people that are celebrating this day. I mean, bro, I'm from Texas. I'm originally from Texas. The governor of Texas today was celebrating on behalf of Kyle Rittenhouse. I mean, that's just we're in a, we're in a very scary place. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. Uh, not at yeah. all. Michael, you have something on this? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, I was just going to say slow burn is is an appropriate title. It, it's a slow burn. And sometimes yeah. it's not even a slow burn <laughs> at all. But I, I'm wondering just from a, a reporting standpoint, because I, I yeah. love going over this ground that people think they know everything about it. I was talking to Mike about mm -hmm. a, a, something similar earlier today. You think you know everything. And then when you get a, a, a podcast or a report or a documentary, you find out, oh, there's a new nugget there, or I didn't realize that that was happening. What has that experience been like for you? Is there like a nugget or two that, you know, based on your reporting, you're like, ooh, I think a lot of people miss this. This is really interesting. A lot of people don't know about it. Yeah, well, I think there were a few things. Like the whole the whole taking on a project like this is entirely a project of discovery. Um, I was 12 years old when Rodney King was beaten. I was 12 years old when the officers were acquitted. Um, so you think, like you said, yeah, you think, you know, you're sort of taking in the news as it is. And, you know, like a different world opened up its season. 
uh, with a riff on what happened in the LA ride. So you think you have a good sense for it. But for me, um, for instance, like this is sort of a broader thing, but Rodney King to me was fundamentally a joke growing up, you know, like the, can we all get along? Um, you know, that, mm. that sort of moment and people like use him sort of yeah. as a punchline. And I'm thinking, yeah. oh, this guy's totally a joke. But like in the process of learning about his life, and that's actually going to be the next episode on Wednesday, it's going to be reviewing his life and seeing like, I mean, <laughs> he, if there's not a lot of people in this country that could have survived the beating that he did and gone through it and not been affected, you know, one way or another, right? Like anybody that went through it was going to be traumatized. He was uniquely ill-equipped to handle what happened to him from the beating to the attention and scrutiny on his lifestyle um all the other things that happened to him the the, the maneuvering the back scenes maneuvering with black activists with johnny cochran you know people saying that he should have a black attorney like all that sort of infighting i had no idea about but then it makes sense i was like you know what i never did see rodney king uh, at a protest with al sharpton right i never there's not any evidence that he ever gave a speech saying police brutality is bad. You know what I mean? Like not even like even something fundamental like that. Like that's, you, you, you would never hear him say that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And maybe I should save some nuggets for the episode, right? But, um, you know, that's, that, was a, that was a real big piece of it. And I think sort of the, the idea that <laughs> a, a broader one is like police reform is something that has been tried over and over and over in this country. Like we can go all the way back even, I mean, probably even before this, but the 65 watch riots is where a lot of the story starts. And Daryl Gates, the LA police chief during that time, learned under the police chief at that time, Bill Parker, who was an unrepentant racist, a well, a legendary racist in the history of law enforcement. And you see that people have tried to put their reins on police departments year after year after year, city after city after city, and they failed fundamentally. Um, and so like that part of it was, you know, to get back to the point where you're talking about not optimistic, but a little hopeful, when looking at that sort of stuff, you're like, oh, wow, the same things, the same problems, the same issues that my parents and my grandparents are dealing with, I'm dealing with, and any child that I have will be dealing with it. And so that part, that was just like a really grim discovery, actually. Yeah. Episode four, uh, Slow Burn, season six, out tomorrow. So there's time for you to catch up. But I do want to go back, man. I want to talk some sports with you. Um, you said earlier that you don't, you don't like being on Twitter, but you're good at it. And I love, especially when you tweet about, well, I love when you tweet about everything, but college football from a sports standpoint, man, you got, you're from Texas, you know, college football mm -hmm. is in your blood. You know what I'm saying? Um, let's Absolutely. talk about some positive black history. There's black history <laughs> being made as we speak by none other than Mel Tucker from brother, Michigan man. State University, who I knew when he was a defensive coordinator in Cleveland. I wonder if he'll let me hold $5. Mel Tucker is on the verge <laughs> of signing a reported $95 million 10-year deal to stay at Michigan State, which he's called a destination job, not a stepping stone. That would make him the highest paid black head coach in American sports, surpassing Stanford's David Shaw. By comparison, Mike Tomlin, Mike Colley, makes $8 million as the highest paid black coach in the NFL. Doc Rivers uh, as the highest paid black coach in the uh, NBA. Mike Tomlin, the highest paid black coach in the NFL. Mike, uh, Doc Rivers, highest paid black coach in the NBA, makes $8 million as well. Mel Tucker about to cash in $9.5 I hope he signs it before they play Ohio State because I don't like the chances, <laughs> Michael. But nonetheless, uh, Joel, can you speak to the significance? Of, uh, of this this landmark contract, especially I mean, with the coaching landscape being what it is and what it's about to be with USC, 
Texas, excuse me, USC, uh, LSU, and potentially, most likely, Florida also being vacant. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Man, imagine a man, no, imagine a black man catching this wave. You know what I mean? Like if you just never see <laughs> right. it's not in not in the history of our life has there been maybe briefly Tyrone Willingham when Notre Dame was like eight and no. Do you remember that year? Mm. And everybody mm -hmm. was talking about it, it was potential coach of the year, and it was like, oh man, there might finally mm -hmm. be a black college head coach that's gonna catch this wave and be the dude. Uh and so for Mel Tucker to do that, let alone at Michigan State, is incredible. Um and for his sake. I'm happy for him for the money, but I'm also happy for him that he does not have to take one of those jobs like LSU or Florida or something like that, because there were a lot of people that were trying to get him down to take that job at LSU. And you and I know, I look, man, they love you when you come in, but God forbid yeah. you have any problems, bro. You know, and it's the, the beast down there. Those folks in the SEC are insatiable. Like, I mean, coach, 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 coach Orgeron, Won a championship two years ago. He's already out. And you would think that, like, there used to be a time when buying a championship would build some sort of credibility or stability within the uh, in your career. But like, obviously, that has changed. And I don't see Mel Tucker going down to LSU and winning no championship in a couple of years and keeping everybody happy. So if he can catch this wave at Michigan State at a program that you know, I think that they understand that they have the potential to be really good and maybe be a national contender in some years, but. That's a that's an eight and four, nine and three school. I think Mel Tucker can do that, and I think there's nothing wrong with just right. hey man, let me just keep these checks coming in, and be, I'll be straight over here. You know what, Joe? I, I I wish we could do something out of Loki and mess with the uh, the timeline a little bit. Go back to that Mike Tomlin press conference where he's all fired up. He's like, hey, you know, ain't, ain't no ain't no booster in the world. And like they paid him what? They paid what what? Yeah. So <laughs> Mel Tucker did not five Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, play what? What'd you say? <laughs> so if, if, if Michigan State, you do that whole thing. Yeah, Mike, if Michigan State. Mike, I ain't gonna lie. Mike, I ain't gonna lie. When you, when you, I, like now that you say that, man. Look, I'm like, like we might have to go back to that conversation we had. You know where I stood on it, and you might have been right all along on that one. <laughs> hey, what did Kanye say on. at the end of the college dropout when he said, "Yo, can I get that deal?" Actually, you know what I'm saying? I could just see Mike Tomlin calling his agent, like, "Yo, um, did they did they yeah. say if they still were interested?" <laughs> Why you ain't telling me it was like call? that at USC? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, Joe, Joe, Michael Smith. Uh, I think he's trying to jinx me because I'm a I'm a uh, I'm a hardcore Ohio State Buckeyes fan. He's talking about he doesn't <laughs> like Michigan State's chances. I want to know from you, college football fan, because I'm nervous about this game. How do you see that playing out, Michigan State, Ohio State? Well, man, you know, I mean, obviously, you would have to think Ohio State is we should be a fairly big favorite here because Michigan State they're much better offensively than they've been in the past few years. They have the ability to throw a little bit with Peyton Thorne, but they're still. That's not like an offense you're scared to play. You know what I mean? But on the other hand, Ohio State has been amazing since that loss to Oregon. And it, it like they've been playing so well that if they somehow got bumped above Oregon, it would be understandable because they look that good. Like CJ Stroud, Travion Henderson, they're so much better. They're so many degrees better than they were when that game was played a few months ago that it's hard to imagine anybody looking better than them. And in fact, I like, I, you know, just. I mean, without having the bias of it or whatever, I kind of just want to see Ohio State offense play against Georgia because if Georgia don't get to play Ohio State, then I don't know that I'm ever going to see them against an elite offense this year. Um, so, I mean, to, Mike, I think you, I think you're going to be okay. I think this is a better okay. team. Like any, obviously, anything can happen. Any team can muck it up. 
Mel Tucker, you know, made his bones in defense in Michigan State is a fairly decent defense this year. But I just Ohio State looks like it's one of them ones, bro. You know what I'm saying? They look okay. they look Later. like hey. Georgia caliber this year, right now. Joel, if I'm okay. not okay, stay off Twitter. Because we're going to have a problem. Okay, I'm coming at you. Okay? Right. Look, man, hey. you know, I mean, look, look, I got filters for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you okay, you can, I, I might not be, I'm not going to see that. Don't worry. Hey, Joel D. Anderson, man. Such a pleasure to have you, brother. Keep up the great work. Uh, if you haven't already, again, check out Slow Burn, especially seasons three and six. Also, the Hang Up and Listen podcast. Come kick it with us again real soon, bro. Bro, have me back anytime. You know it's my pleasure, man, for real. Anytime. My guy. Appreciate you. Be good. All right. Thank all right, you. Appreciate you. All right. Peace. Hey, so all afternoon, Michael and I have been uh, responding, reacting to Kyle Rittenhouse's uh, acquittal of all five uh, charges uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, stemming from uh, his shooting and killing uh, two protesters and wounding another one in the aftermath of the uh, Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin which, as we know, uh, touched off another wave of activism across professional sports, starting with uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, um, who uh, at the time uh, were in the, uh, the NBA bubble. And so we welcome uh, Zora Stevenson uh, to the program. She is the uh, reporter and director of storytelling for the Bucks. She's also our colleague at, here at NBC Sports. And uh, Zora, I'll, I'll ask you a two-part question, and you answer however you like. One, uh, we'd just love to know on a personal level um, how you're processing today's news, but on a professional level, uh, how you uh, expect or maybe even know uh, that the Rittenhouse verdict is going to resonate with the Milwaukee Bucks, given, again, their reaction uh, to the Jacob Blake shooting and the ensuing protests. Yeah, on a personal level, I have two sides of me. One wants to feel and one wants to like hide and not feel anything and not be informed and not know because it just seems like it's over and over and over again. And, you know, somebody who covers this Milwaukee Bucks team closely and I live in Milwaukee, I'm less than an hour from Kenosha. And I mean, if you're following the NBA, if you know about this Milwaukee Bucks team, you know the history and, and how much they have stood up for change and stood up for what's right. And different actions. I mean, I know a lot of people speak to the bubble when they decided not to play, but this is also a team that has done a lot of different things. And when it, when it came down um, the verdict, I was actually at the practice facility and at shoot around, everybody had left already. And so I just kind of scrolled through things and uh, George Hill, who was really one of the catalysts for the team, not mm -hmm. playing in the bubble a few uh, years ago, said on his Instagram page, like it's a cold world we live in. I feel like there's just a lot of fatigue uh last season when the officer who shot jacob blake was not formally convicted of anything the team decided to kneel for the first shot clock of the game that they played that night so i don't know you know personally how it's resonating with the guys but i do know historically they tend to feel all of these different instances yeah it's uh you said uh, george hill said it's a cold world it's loveless too it's loveless you feel that uh, on days like uh today um I know Milwaukee last year, it really wound up being like a day or a day, a day and a half where there was no action happened in the NBA. The Bucks started it and the rest of the NBA picked up on it. And I remember there was a debate uh, in the Milwaukee State House, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, and it really didn't go anywhere. Has there been any kind of effect on the Bucks protest on, on Milwaukee legislators 
as far as you can tell. Uh, it, it, has anything happened that, it, that the Buck's presence lead to any tangible action? I don't know any formal legislation that has been put in place. And that's sad, right? When you continue to work at something and you don't see the effects of it, you don't see the results of it. I mean, just about a week ago, the team was at the White House and a small group of players. I mean, I know they have the pomp and circumstance and they have the ceremonial things, but a small group of players before all of that actually met with policy leaders about uh, social justice and police reform. And so you you have all these things that you're trying to do within your power and to not see anything go through is, is definitely frustrating. All right, so let's let's talk about the team itself. Okay, you know, we, we could talk about this all day and and at at some point we would just turn the cameras off and say we can't do it anymore. We just can't yeah. keep talking about it um, because it really is. Um, it really is disheartening, but the Milwaukee Bucks the team on the court hasn't looked like hasn't looked like the championship squad that really was ascending during the NBA finals. Do you think that's just a product of, hey, everybody's not healthy, they'll be back there, or is this really something to be concerned about, some type of championship hangover? I think there's a lot of different things that have, have led to the fact that they're seven and eight, tenth in the East right now. You could talk about the injuries, right? I mean, only three games this season. Giannis, Chris, and Drew have played together. But within the organization, like, okay, this is the cards we're dealt. It cannot be an ongoing excuse. So Coach Bud really has challenged the guys who are available, who are healthy. You got to compete for 48 minutes. You got to give some effort. And we're just not talking about, like, just playing hard. It's like, hey, let's execute our sets. Let's be in the right place defensively. I mean, this is a group that really prides itself on the defensive end two seasons ago number one defensive team in the league top 10 last season and now they're in the bottom half and so that's another charge it's like let's get this thing together defensively and then hopefully that'll translate to offense as well i wonder if you um i wonder if, if you could settle a a little debate a, a little uh -oh. debate that, that 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 we have um so I read the fine story in GQ on Giannis and mm -hmm. so did Michael Smith and Michael Smith read it before I did. So he was kind of um, uh, kind of basketball explaining the story to me uh, kind of writer explaining the story to me because he read it. And I, I was didn't. no, so no. Yeah, had, that's, that's not basketball everything. You didn't read, everything. Thank you. He didn't read it. He didn't read it. Do his homework. What I was supposed to do. You didn't do your homework. For, All right, look, what I you told want me to do about it? I told you I didn't. I ain't lie about it. I ain't lie and say I did my homework. Oh, it's, it's at home. I okay, I didn't read. But you had a, I didn't read. But but, but I, you had a take on it. You had a take on I it. Read, you, well, listen, you pretended like you, you read me. the book. No, I didn't. <laughs> you got a take on the class. Quote. I saw. Yeah, exactly. Thank I, you, Zora. You know where this is going. Thank you. I saw the I saw the summary, so I read the quote before reading the story, which is dangerous. But then I went back and read the story. And I'm supposed to be reading about Giannis and halfway through, I'm like, what the hell am I talking about? Ain't no context. Ain't no, uh, well, philosophically, blah, blah, blah. I heard and saw Giannis say in a couple of years, his journey could take him somewhere else. Tell me, do you agree with me that that's a pretty explosive quote? Or do you agree with Michael Smith that yeah, it's, it's really not really what it appears to be? What do you think? You can't put the quote aside. It, it's in there, and those are his words. So, yes. But what I mean by context, and, and Michael, let me know if you uh, agree with this, is the whole article was like, 
revving you up and understanding the mind of this mm -hmm. machine, this, this human exactly. being who thrives off of a challenge and thrives off of it being hard because of the way he grew up, because of the experiences that he has had. And so Milwaukee and staying in Milwaukee was the ultimate challenge. Everybody told him not to do it. Everybody told him you could not win here. And so he said, you know what? Screw all of you. I'm going to stay and I'm going to do it. And so he reached mm -hmm. that pinnacle in the same season where he signed and it was like, whoa, the hardest thing to do I've done, what's my next challenge? And so yeah. if it takes the Bucks years and years to get back to that point, like I think Giannis is still here um, because he just feeds off of the next challenge. That's all that quote was saying. And, and my yeah. response to this quote has been, do any of us know where we're gonna be in two years? No, I mean, Thank I just you. think he's keeping oh. it open-ended. Like who knows what's gonna happen? Zora, I don't know about you, two years, but I'm just glad you're here right now because as okay. usual, Listen. Michael don't hear me when I'm talking. I said, I said the same thing you said, except not as smart. Maybe that was what it was. Maybe I didn't say it as, well, as well that, and eloquently as you did. That's true. Maybe that, it's my that, fault. You're speaking truth Maybe it's now. my fault. Michael, you, you're speaking truth, but I'm going to tell you both where Giannis is going to be in two years. Based on an article and a, liking a challenge, He's going to the Sacramento Kings. It's going to be the Sacramento <laughs> in well, two years. But, but Zora, you can't win there. Impossible. But, but Zora, I Watch. think I also think a lot of those quotes probably had to do with something of a presumption because even I think his agent said it, you know, or maybe Giannis himself said it. If we repeat, then what's next? If they don't yeah. repeat, he may recalculate and recalibrate what what a challenge actually means to him. The way I told to Michael is, you spent your whole life starting from the bottom to get here. When you get there, well, now what? Because what drove him was being the hunter and not the hunted. Now that he's the hunted, he's got this hunger, which has honestly manifested itself in, in, in another season where he seems to be challenging for MVP. We just saw him go for 47 the other night against the Lakers. I think it was 47. From a, from a, uh, from a, a, a game standpoint, in terms of his, uh, his complete game, how have you seen him evolve? Like, How did he get in the gym this offseason and come back and build on the player that he was last year that dropped 50 in game six. How has he gotten better from last year to this year? I think so much for Giannis is in the mind. I mean, this is a guy who didn't watch game six or any of those highlights from that 50 point performance until we sat down and did like a film series right before the season started. And even then you kind of had to nudge him like, hey, can you please watch this? Because he didn't want to watch it because he was like, I don't want to get complacent. I don't want to get lazy. So, so much of, of Giannis improving and finding that next gear is, is mental and, and the motivation. It's like, where does it come from now because we reached the pinnacle? And so he wants to be really mindful not to get complacent. Something that struck me, though, about his performance on Wednesday, that 47-point performance, was, okay, he did Giannis things, attack mode, 30 points in the paint. But there was this one play in the third quarter where the ball moved around the perimeter and Giannis had a catch-and-shoot three. And I asked him about it after the game. He was like, whoa. I think I've only had like six of those in my career. And uh, to see him make plays like that, that's when I see, okay, this guy really, he's not thinking. I mean, even with, there were so many jokes last season with the free throw and it being over 10 seconds. So much of that looked mental to me as someone who's played the game. And so you just see Giannis not thinking as much, which I think is a really big hurdle for him and something that really helps him uh, and improve over time. Well, Zora Stevenson, uh, we uh, love your work covering the Bucks. Uh, but what Michael did not tell you because he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to lay it on too thick is that he's also become a Bucks fan. Um, so it's really good to have you and, and we look forward to having you back uh, to talk about the Bucks as they continue to try to repeat uh, as NBA champions. But we appreciate you falling through 
Uh, and thanks so much for setting this one straight. Setting that one straight, sorry. Of course, Bucks fans always give context. So if you want to be on the bandwagon, remember that. <laughs> exactly, like Bucks and Six. Like I had people have to tell me like Bucks and Six. They had to tell me like context. I'm like, oh, you know what? Got it, got it. Yeah. So absolutely. I got Appreciate the gear. You. I'm a Bucks fan now, but I'm, may- I'm maybe a Giannis fan more than a Bucks fan. So I'll be a Kings fan in two years. Two- King, I'm telling you, Sacramento Kings. That's where he's going. We'll talk when that happens. <laughs> We'll talk before then. We'll talk before then, Zoe. I think we, you know, these guys play well together. Um, we use a lot of different personnel groupings. They, they communicate well together and play with good good communication and and um, anticipation. I don't want to brag too much, but I feel like we got we got one of the best defenses in, in, in the league right now. I mean, it, this, this is a big game. I mean, I'm like, defense played outstanding. Like, I can't even describe, like, but. We got to keep keep it up. It's, it's going to get scary. It's going to be scary. No, we uh, we kind of want to be a holes on the field with good guys off the field and make sure we don't get penalized. Uh, we play with uh, within the rules, uh, but you know we are, we a nasty group, and so uh, that's that's how we like to play and uh, that's how we got to play in order for our team to win, and uh, we enjoy it. All right, uh, you know, Bill Belichick with that jacket. Shout out to his girlfriend, Linda Holiday. Bill ain't dressing like that. He can't pick that out on his own. That's that that that's his girl uh, hooking him up there. So you know, Bill Belichick, Matthew Judon, and J.C. Jackson. And that was a shutout last night. It was a beatdown. It was a beatdown, Mike. I mean, the Falcons have fewer than 200 yards the entire game. The only time they really thought they could have some points, it took a 45-yard field goal. They screwed that up. Moved back five yards, they miss it. So they got a donut for the game. But I got to tell you, man, I'm I'm too close to this. I'm too close to it. And I really don't know. I hear a lot of people talking about the Patriots. They're hyped about the Patriots. Patriots are 7-4. and Hey, Mac Jones looks like a young Tom Brady. Here they come. This is what Bill Belichick does. On and on and on. I honestly can't call it because when I, and maybe I just know them too well, it's like you see, you see the flaws when you're up close and other people, you live with somebody, right? (laughs) So you know all the stuff they do, you know all their quirks. You're like, well, maybe it's not as good as it seems. So y'all seeing another game and all right, you tell me, Mike. Because when people say the Patriots are the best team in the AFC, I don't think so. I don't what think they're people? the second best team in it. I, I don't think or anyone. I'll say this: anyone who says that the Patriots are the best, yeah, or I second, heard that. or third, or third best team in the AFC, yeah. Yeah. or that yeah. they are capable, they are capable of going to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I go to this stat right here. I'll, I'll look at this stat, then I'll give it to you. This is not the only reason, but this is. Opponents winning percentage. I think this is a really good chart. It's instructive I, and I'm surprised by Buffalo's number the opponents winning percentage is 40 <laughs> Tennessee. I'm not surprised 56 and the Patriots 45% look they got two wins over. They got two wins over the Jets. They got a win uh, over the Texans. That's three right there. They beat Sam Darnold and Carolina. That's four. So I mean, 
I'm too close. You tell me. I think what, what, what does this mean, if anything? The seven and four surging five wins straight New England Patriots. Um, as I see it, if last year was an off year or a transition year, even let's just call this something of a uh, of a redshirt year. If that makes sense. Like I, I think I much like with the Warriors. I think I told you that the Patriots dynasty was just interrupted as opposed to ended as long as Belichick was there. Now, will they win, you know, another six Super Bowls with this quarterback? I mean, obviously, what are the odds of that? But I knew they would they could quickly reestablish themselves as contenders in the AFC. And that's what I've mostly heard them referred to as is contenders. Your points well taken on the competition that they played but they're playing with a level a level of consistency that's eluding most teams in the NFL, particularly in the AFC. Because you can say that the Patriots aren't that good in the AFC. Well, who really has proved themselves to be, and keep with the theme of the day, beyond a reasonable doubt, to be good in the AFC? Because um, even the teams that are winning still have flaws that you wonder whether or not it could be sustainable. Um, so I'm comfortable calling them contenders. Um, and the reason I'm comfortable calling them contenders is not for the reason that people are so excited about the Patriots. Let me say that again. The reasons I'm comfortable calling them contenders is not for the reason that people are so excited and overhyping the Patriots. The reason that people are, go, are getting carried away with the Patriots is Mac Jones. Because the new, the, new guy, the new girlfriend, the new shiny object, the new car, the new toy, whatever you want to call it, that person ends up getting people talking. And, once, and the more people talk, the more they're prone to hyperbole. So they're on this great yeah. winning streak uh, and Mac Jones has been great. But what they what people really need to pump the brakes on is oh well, if they were redrafting Mac Jones should have gone higher or Mac Jones should have been the first or second quarterback taken or the Niners really messed up. It's like first of all, I'm not trying to put on tape that Mac Jones is going to be better than both Zach Wilson and uh, Trey Lance or even for that matter Justin Fields or if you really want to go there Trevor Lawrence. I'm not going to say that. And in a year or two down the road, those dudes are balling out. Mac Jones right. is a really good quarterback, a really good rookie quarterback who has the potential to be a great quarterback who landed in the perfect system. All that can right. be true because I can't that say for true. certain and we'll never know that Mac Jones would be doing this in San Francisco or that Mac Jones would be doing this in New York or that Mac Jones would be doing this in Chicago or any, or any of the other teams that passed on him. I don't know that. What I know is that Matt Jones can complete 70% of his passes. He's up to 70.2% of his passes right now, third in the NFL, while being 15th in the NFL at 7.3 yards per attempt. Now, he does have 34 completions of 20 or more yards, which is, which is very good. But he, he can complete these passes throwing mostly out routes and checkdowns because he has an incredible defense. Because he has a running game spearheaded by not one but two running backs who look like they get angry at seeing the other one play and decide to take it out on the on the defense. It's like every time right. Damian Harris get in, he's like, "Damn it, I should be doing that," and he's running over somebody. Or same with Ramondre Stevenson, who's come on. So they got this two-headed monster at running back. And meanwhile, Mac Jones, it reminds me of Chris Carter when Buddy Ryan cut him and said, famously, infamously said, "All he does is catch touchdowns. All Mac Jones does is complete passes." It may not be sexy. It may not be aggressively down the field all the time, but he just 
He knows where the open guy is, and he gets him to do it to it quickly and in a timely manner for yep. the most part. Last night's interception notwithstanding, he's thrown some picks, but not as much as at the beginning of the season. So he's making good decisions and he's getting the ball there on time. Ain't nothing wrong with throwing crossing routes, out routes, and check downs. If that's going to get the job done, he's got an yeah. automatic kicker that he can rely on. Sound familiar? He's got an automatic kicker in Nick Folk. He's got a great defense mm -hmm. and a great running game. Michael, you're damn right you know this team and you're too close to it. You are damn right you are too close to it. You know why? Because you've seen this movie before. In fact, you've written this story before. This is such a this is such a 2003-ish 2001, Whoa. but more talent, Whoa, more wait, talent. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. Let me, before before you tell me I'm wrong, I, I, I usually don't say this, but let me finish. I, I ain't gonna before, say you wrong. Before you tell me I'm wrong. wrong. Okay, oh, okay, okay, good. Because all I was gonna say was, what's the, I think is the best, and Belichick spoke to this today. The most amazing thing about this team is how they've established overnight chemistry. They spent more money than any team in NFL history, bringing in all these free agents in the offseason. So they have a lot of, new Patriots, maybe not relying on a lot of rookies, but a lot of rookies to the Patriot system or the Patriot way and it's clicking overnight and that's hard to do. So that's why that's why I say the 2001 parallel with all the free agents that they brought in that clicked overnight in 2001. This team is way more talented, but when I say 03, I say 03 because of the, the, the running game and the defense that that team that that was the identity it was a very physical this bruising beat you up Beat you then two thousand one. This, this team is not then no, two thousand then two thousand one. No, oh hell, Michael. No, they're not. Now I got it. Now I got it. Man, I okay. wish I could find Patriot Rain. Oh my God. Okay. Wish I could find okay, Patriot Rain somewhere. It, it's not in Patriot. You have to read your Patriot own Rain. words to you. It's not your own. It's not in no, Patriot yes it is. It's, in, it's the next one. Yes it is. It's in the next one. No, it's in Patriot Rain. It's in Patriot Rain. Right. How many? Listen. How many? How many? How many players? What was the question you asked him? Twenty. Now I got to tell you your, your words. How, far, how many I, players I, I away are you? How far? What book was that in? How far away? How far away was that from being? How far away from you from being a, a championship team? He said twenty. And what book was that in? But you sure about that? Okay. <laughs> Regardless. War room was so many years later. You wrote your own Patriot Reign after the second Super Bowl. Right. Because so, okay. because I, I had hey, to, who am I to I tell had to work that out. You what you wrote. I know. Fine. That's right. Exactly. Bottom but line is, I'm gonna sit up here and tell you, like this is like a parent. This, like I had my teenager last night. How you gonna tell me when you don't know nothing? You, you, like, I, like you, you're 15 years old. Tell, I'm gonna what? sit up here and tell you, this is a more talented team in 2001. Okay, but I'm just gonna tell you this, Mike. This is really interesting. You said I was there. I you wrote the book, but I wrote, I wrote the stories. Yeah, I covered I the team. You, now I, I was there, there too. I know. Shit. I know. You're quoted, you're quoted. You are quoted in Patriot Rain. You're quoted in Patriot Rain. Now, you said at the beginning of the segment you you're comfortable calling them contenders. Yet, you bring up an example from 2001 where they won the Super Bowl. You bring up an example from 2003 when they won the Super Bowl. So I just want to point that out. But here's the other thing: when, you, when it comes to talent, when it comes What's to the talent difference? on the 2000. Well, you said they're contenders, but that team won the Super Bowl. So it, it, it's a step above a contender. That team was a champion. A contender is. Well, I mean, but hey, I can get in there. I'm not going to embarrass myself. A champion is obviously a champion. But no, but no, no, no. I mean, contender. Hold on. No, we do need to because you mis you mischaracterized what I just said. Contender, as oh, in in the in a wide open AFC where right now the best team in Tennessee they barely could. gets 200 yards of offense. Right in 2001. 
they were five and five. None of us thought they were going to win the Super Bowl in 03 after the first two weeks or first four weeks. Excuse me, they were two and two. Nobody thought they would win the Super Bowl after the first four weeks, and they went off and won every game. And of course, still had to go through MVPs in the playoffs. So it's not like we saw 01 and 03 coming either. You were saying, right? Yeah. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm frozen too. You, you that's a great. That's a great okay. pose. That's a that's a nice that little. Uh, uh, I don't that like is. being frozen, but that right, was a nice but, little pose there. Yeah, I can but hear let's you. Keep talking. I, I can hear you too. So I, I, if All the right. public can hear us, let's just keep on going until uh, the situation uh, unfreezes. But I'm going to say when you talk about the talent of the 2001 <laughs> Patriots, uh huh. I, I think about the defense where you had Mike Vrabel, Teddy Bruschi, mm-hmm. Ty Law, Richard mm-hmm. Seymour, Lawyer Malloy, Willie McGinnis, Lawyer Malloy. I mean, you, you and on the other side, you know, got Tom Brady. So you didn't know, and, and, and Troy Brown. You didn't know that these guys were as good as they were, but in, retro, in retrospect, you know, I'm looking at that team saying that's an untalented team. I, I, I listen if the 2021 Patriots have that much juice on their team. God bless them. But I'm going to say they don't. I, I, I don't I don't I don't think they can match them. But anyway, let's uh, let's let's come back and talk about this in a little bit. Well, Mike, uh, we were talking about uh, championship teams and dynasties. Our own uh, dynasty was not stopped. It was interrupted. So we're back. We were talking about the I think Patriots. It was Kyle, I think it was Kyle Rittenhouse supporters that that yeah, did that. that I, I guess so. And, uh, I guess it was. Uh, kick the plug. So we'll talk about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it another day. But I, I do want to come back to that at some point. You want to come yeah, back to the talent point. level of the current Patriots versus a, a Patriots team that began a dynasty of uh, three. No, go ahead and make it. Three championships. No, I want you to make it. Run. Make it now. No, no, no make it. No, make say, it now. We'll go back to break. I'll just say this. I'll just say this. Um, the team had a lot of guys who were lightly regarded at the time who came to mm-hmm. be highly mm-hmm. regarded uh, mm-hmm. two or three years later. So I just think they were at the, yes. the uh, fledgling point of their peak. Yes. And so they're, they're much a, better than that's a than very fair point. That's a very fair point. They deserve more credit than I was giving them. I guess, I guess I'm defining talent not retroactively, not in terms of what Richard Seymour became or what Teddy Bruschi yeah. went on to, to continue to be or even what Ted Johnson was at the time or you know, Vrabel Damian Woody, I mean, you know, the, yeah, the list Damian goes Woody, on. Another one. But there were so many key players that I think even your words where they went Filene's basement shopping. Whereas mm-hmm. this year they went to Neiman's. You know what I mean? Like they went they went splur and splurged on a lot of high profile, high priced guys. So I think that's what I was more focusing on. But your point is, is a very valid one and uh, and very well taken. Uh, a team that's got talent, that's got chemistry, that's got it all, and it's all clicking right now. Uh, is the Golden State Warriors led by Steph Curry? Hey, Steph, uh, every year, obviously, you know, MVP is an award you would love to have, but most, a lot of people are talking about your defense this year. Would making a defensive team be one of your goals this season? If you want to start that narrative for me, please, by all means. Um, I will happily do my part to try to uh, make you a profit, my man. So, uh, go ahead and put that out there. Write the article. Let's go. Let's freaking go. The Warriors, the Warriors were trailing by 13 uh, entering the fourth quarter against Cleveland last night. They went on to win by, uh, I believe, 15. 
A lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they closed the, the uh, yeah, they won 104 to 89. Um, Steph Curry outscored the Cavs by himself in the fourth quarter as a team. I think it was 36 to 8 or something like that. And listen, I'm just saying about Steph Curry's defense. And remember the other day, Michael, I said it anecdotally, he seems more engaged, seems like a better defender this year. Ain't no seems about it. His defensive rating is 98.5. That's just below Draymond Green and ahead of Paul George. Vincent Goodwill, Steph seems like a more complete player, at least to start this season, uh, than we've seen. You have been the uh, you have been the guy that has touted for years that Kevin Durant is the best player in the NBA. And he ain't done nothing this year to disprove that. Absolutely not. But Steph Curry, the one thing he's never gotten, he's been a unanimous MVP, though not a finals MVP, which might have a lot to do with it. But the one thing he's never been anointed as is the best player in the game. Given what he continues to do on offense, another day, another nine threes, what he's doing now defensively and rebounding, is it already time to revisit that conversation? Could Steph be the best player in the game right now? It's funny you should say that, uh, Michael Smith. And it's funny that it comes from you, considering all the, the light oh, skin logic I that I get from I you. It. Yeah, it was coming. It. it was coming. It was coming. I knew but, it. But in the spirit of Michael Holly, I was. How did I not season. see that coming? How did I not see that coming? You should have. And that, that curve, <laughs> like the curve, it wasn't even a backdoor curve. Here it was. It's because you can see it tumbling. You can see it. T- you can see that. You can see the seams. It was coming right to you. I can't believe you missed it. You know, I don't want to play. The, no, no. In, in the spirit of Michael Holly, I went to Cleveland yesterday to talk to Stephen Curry about a number of subjects that will debut Ooh. in an article for Yahoo Sports today nice. later on. Yeah, nice. absolutely. Right. Um, but I don't know if it's time to revisit it. I think you can say that he's playing the best. You can say that he's the most impactful player in the game of basketball. You can also make the argument that he's the greatest system in the history of the game with apologies to Tim Duncan and, and Magic Johnson. I don't know if it's necessarily he's the greatest player or the best player right now, but I think he's having the greatest effect. He's having the greatest impact. We're starting to see that maybe it wasn't Draymond Green being so great and Klay Thompson being great as, as even though I think they are. I think you're starting to realize that you can put a bunch of players around the Steph Curry system and as long as he's healthy and as long as he's running around and doing the things that he can do, that basically you will be successful. I think if you're having an MVP conversation, it has to start with Jokic, who's having a better season than he did last year. You have to talk about Katie. You have to talk about Steph Curry. I think just being in that conversation at age 33, going to 34, considering how long it's been, consider this, guys. I will say this. If Steph Curry wins MVP this year and it's a seven-year gap between his first and his last, that puts him on par with Michael Jordan. That puts him on par with Will Chamberlain. That puts him on par with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That says longevity. That says sustained excellence for a player that we did not believe was going to have that level of longevity considering the problems he had early in his career with the ankle hit injuries and everything else. So just being in the conversation, in my opinion, is a great testament to his skills, his will, and how he's adapted to today's game in ways that other players have not. Do I still think that Kevin Durant's the best player in basketball? Yes, but if you tell me Steph Curry is, I'm not going to argue you down, call you a liar. Well, that's nice say, of you. Or, or say that or say that you're, you know, drinking Scottie Pippen juice or nothing like that. I'll never say that. That's such really that. nice of you. No, that's, that's really nice of you. Like, it's nice of you to say all those nice things about a light-skinned person. I know that it pains you to say that. Um, 
But I, I do want to do a quick tangent, quick sidebar, quick sidebar. The MVP conversation. What's your rule of thumb? How early is too early to be having a legitimate MVP conversation? Just what's your rule of thumb on, or when you even entertain those thoughts? Because you're a voter, mm-hmm. right? I am a voter. Uh, I, I think yeah. for me, the 20 game mark, like a quarter mark of the season, is a is a good enough you know tempo mark for me. You know what I mean? And we're approaching that. It's like game 15, game 16. We're close enough to it, so maybe at the end of next week we can legitimately start having it. I, you know what I mean? But if it's a mm-hmm. player who's had a sustained level of excellence already that we know is bankable. I don't think yeah. that that's a, a problem to start having this discussion. Now, I think you can look at Jokic, you can look at Katie, you can look at Steph and say, yeah, they can sustain and keep up these performances for the entire season. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going I'm to switch gears a little bit, and, and I'm glad you're here, Benny, because I, I, I want us to have this conversation. This is a family table. This is a kitchen table conversation about something. In, 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 it's a basketball history conversation. It's very important. Don't you think I know we talked about Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan last week. Don't you think now it's sad. I mean, not, haven't we gotten to a point where it's just sad Like something's wrong. This is bigger than basketball with Scotty Pippen Pippen. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with Scotty. It's not just trying to sell some books. He made the New York Times bestseller list. I know that got from my sources. He made the list. But it's bigger than that. I, don't you feel like something's kind of wrong. We need to check. We need to do a a wellness check on Scottie Pippen with all these uh, outrageous things he's saying about Michael Jordan. Are you saying this is bigger than Nino Brown? Are you saying I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth? Ms. Hawkins. Is that what we sitting up somewhere saying? All right, cool. That's fine. Bigger than Nino. Yes, this it's is bigger, bigger than, than Nino Brown. This is big. No, it's not. This is the rantings of a madman. Basically, this is a guy who, for whatever reason, is very, very sensitive. And luckily for us, right, Michael Jordan has not fired back. Because Michael Jordan doesn't, like, understand. He doesn't do complex human emotions. He's just like, why are you so mad, Scotty? I didn't say nothing about you when you had a migraine headache. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't know if it's time for us to have a greater discussion about Scotty Pippen. Because, honestly, I feel like we've given Scotty Pippen way too much oxygen and airtime than he ever deserved. I think this was a Thank calculated you. ploy for him to sell some books. He probably went the... There's no better way for me to say it. He went the Kanye Kardashian route of garnering as much attention to himself as possible without the substance. Let's just say the most outlandish thing, regardless of whatever my public reputation was or what I wanted to be in the future. And hopefully it will catch fire. That's what it did. Scottie Pippen, if nothing else, had detracted us from the rightful discussion we should have been having about him, which it was um, Russia shouldn't have been on the top 50 list or the top 75 i.e. 76 list. That's the discussion we should have been having. Brilliant from Scottie Pippen to get us to distract from that. Bravo. Hey, 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 Mike. So, so what, so what Vinny is saying is that, that Scottie Pippen was, when he was with Jordan, he was pre, he was pre Kardashian Kanye. And then he, uh, he kind of went off on his own. He, he lost it as, as the great black thought would say. Yeah, word. Um, hey, last thing I got for you, Vinny, I think it's, I don't know if you got anything uh, updated. It's 50-50 was the last I heard that LeBron uh, may be back tonight. Um, another promise that I made to myself is to get off this Lakers roller coaster and overreacting mm-hmm. to every win or loss until they're completely whole. 
Um, how much can we realistic, realistically expect from 36-year-old LeBron James uh, to cover up at this point in his career? Uh, the flaws specifically that the Lakers uh, have shown themselves to have. Again, albeit incomplete, but so far this season. Isn't that supposed to be Anthony Davis's job? When you're talking about someone who has the, the generational talent, the, the 27, 28-year-old who's supposed to be carrying the Lakers into the next millennium and taking the torch away from LeBron James, like LeBron is supposed to be able to age gracefully and be able to deal with these injuries and everything else without feeling like he has to come in and save the day. That should be Anthony Davis. I think he has gotten largely a free pass from the media because we've always looked at him as, you know, the unibrow and we said, oh, he doesn't want to play center and everything else. And maybe because he doesn't have that aggressive, assertive personality, you know, we're looking at him, with, we're treating him with kid gloves. But when I saw Giannis take the game to him the other night and basically say, that's yeah. my bike pump, it's about <laughs> high time we start having this conversation about the guy who should be the most gifted and talented player in the game, the way the guy who can play inside and out, the guy that can protect the rim and shoot from the outside and do everything else. It should not be on LeBron James or even Russell Westbrook's roller coaster of turnovers and quadruple doubles and everything else. Those players are going to be what they're going to be. Anthony Davis should be still on the yeah. upswing of his career from in terms of uh, talent and everything else perspective. And yet, considerably, it seems like he keeps coming up short. So now we have to go back to the please LeBron save us. I don't think that should be on him. Appreciate you following through as always, Vin. Have a good weekend. Hopefully we talk to you before Thanksgiving. Uh, by the way, like the outfit. It looks real Ghostbusters. Like you're about to go you know, do some exorcisms or some shit. Like, you look, you look good. I like it. It was a good look on you. <laughs> like a young Ernie Hudson. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was so, it was so nice and made you cuss. Thank you, Michael Smith. <laughs> Appreciate you, bro. Be good. Hey, Mike, uh, we got, we got not have much time before we got to say goodbye for the week. Um, what are you most excited to watch this weekend? Chiefs, Cowboys, another game on your, on your, your, your watch list that you're really interested in? Cam's second, Buckeye. first home game? Oh, of course. Buckeye. Of course. Buckeyes. College football. College football. Tonight. Yeah. San Diego State Aztecs. I'm watching the punter. Matt Ariza. We are nerding out on him before it's all sent down. We got to nerd out on him. We didn't get to it today, but we will. On the punter. Okay. On the punter. Yes. Greatest punter in college football history. He's the best punter in the NFL right now. In college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that'll win you some games. 